0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Now, the good news about the story that we were talking about yesterday at the start of the show involving the the attempted carjacking of former Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley is that no no one was hurt that that 's the good news if you haven 't been following the story sunday after sunday evening seven o 'clock a little bit after he 's driving on Capitol Drive, just to the east of where i 'm sitting now in shorewood and what happens is two gang-banging, carjacking punks, presumably from Milwaukee, kind of run him off the road. They, they pull in front of him, one gets out of the car with a gun, sticks a gun in his face, gets him out of his vehicle, and then tries to drive off. Now, the 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 I mean the, the funny part of the story, and there's nothing funny about this, it, it, except that the fact that initially they were reporting that a- Abley was driving a an Aston Martin, which apparently he owns an Aston Martin, that's a James Bond car, and... Uh, so that was the initial report. Was it turns out he wasn't driving the Aston Martin. He was driving a uh, a, a BMW. But regardless, the the uh, gangbanging, carjacking punk gets in the car and can't figure out how to to get the car and drive. You know, and it and if you've ever, I, I've never, I've never driven a BMW or an Aston Martin. But I I had a fascination with Audis for a while. And again, there you, you just have to know what you're doing with some of these cars. And apparently. I guess when we go to crime school, we're not educating some of the uh, gangbanging carjackers as to how you start these expensive foreign cars. So then the guy gets out of the car, gets upset, and fires a couple shots at, at the car, robs Chris Abley, and, and drives off. And the police, I assume, this is are, are made. These guys are major targets because, again, it's you you, you kind of. You smile about the story, given the fact that nobody was hurt and the fact that the the idiots don't know how to drive the car that they're trying to steal. But the bigger picture is that this is this is a main thoroughfare. In a a community that is perceived as being safe, and and it's it's not. So I did send out a tweet about this yesterday, especially after the Journal Sentinel originally reported that he he was driving the an Aston Martin. And it's so why does somebody drive a hundred fifty thousand dollar Aston Martin? First, because you can. (laughs) Second, because James Bond did. Third, because gang banging carjacking punks from Milwaukee have no clue how to start it. And fourth, because you can. I actually said to my wife, you know, we're going to be in the market for a new car shortly. I said, honey. This is the reason. Let, let's throw caution to the wind. This is the reason. Let, let's let spend some big-time dough, because if somebody tries to steal it, they're not going to know how to start it. That wasn't necessarily a persuasive argument, but it, it was an argument that was out there. In addition, if you follow me on Twitter, at Wagner 620 and you want to you want to know how uh, talk radio hosts spend their, their Monday evenings, well, put up a picture yesterday. Um, it, it's me and the dog, me and Sasha, sitting at the kitchen table after dinner. Um, she had been just very quietly hoping that she was going to get fed scraps from the table and that did not work. So she decided that she wanted to sit in dad's lap. So that's a big Monday evening at the Wagner household. And you can see that picture on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And candidly, I can't think of a better way to uh, spend a a cold Monday night in uh, Wisconsin. So you can check that out as well. But that's our that's our family photo, me and the dog, taken by my wife Fran as we're uh, sitting after dinner on Monday evening. Hey, and just a quick story before we launch into the, the substance of the program. Uh, it, it's a disappointing story, perhaps not surprising. The what they're now calling it, the Captain Pabst Pilot House. In the, the brewery district, the announcement today is it's going to close for good this month. Now, this, this is not the, the Pabst Brewery per se. That, that's still open. That, that they think they call that best place now. This is the building a couple blocks to the east. It it was, it was an old church. And they put a ton of money into this, turning it into a, a microbrew. And, I mean, I remember being their opening weekend. This was something that actually my, my buddy Evan and I, we were big fans of Pabst Brewing. And they, one of the big things is that when I was a kid growing up, after I turned 18, um, On Decker was, was the big beer. Um, and this is before, like, craft beers became really popular and stuff. And they, they brought back On Decker. And so, I mean, I remember... I remember standing in line to get in there the first day it opened up, or something. As a matter of fact, I I knew the guy who was the original chef there. It, it's been open for about three years, and for a variety of reasons, it never it never really took off. And uh, they're announcing today that effective the twenty first, um, it, it's going to be closing, and that all brewing activities are, are going to be you know uh, moved. To where Pabst is in San Antonio right now, and and I think you know the, the reality was I think that was always a, a struggle. I think they could never quite figure out what they wanted to do with that location, and and it went through a, ver- a number of different versions and all. And I don't think it ever really quite took off. And then um, now you got COVID and all the other things, and I think they're just looking at the business model, saying we just don't see it coming back anytime soon. So I'm very sorry to see the place close. And like I say, we enjoyed it. Uh, well, I enjoyed it quite a. Bit. And I was certainly hoping that it was going to succeed. But candidly, even as somebody who liked going there, not saying that I went there a lot and I must have fit into the general category because a lot of people didn't. All right. To the surprise of no one, the Trump campaign has filed a lawsuit trying to reverse Wisconsin's election results. I want to walk through the lawsuit. I spent 20 minutes of my life this morning reading the lawsuit in its entirety. There are really four different arguments that are made. I want to go through those. Then we're going to open up the phone lines and discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Okay, let's understand something at, at the beginning. Uh, Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated as the next president of the United States in, in January. So uh, the lawsuits and claims of fraud, et cetera, the, the, the truth of the matter is they're, they're really going nowhere in, in the big picture. And President Trump, in order to succeed, would have to win legal challenges in multiple states. And, of course, no court is going to overturn the results of the election the best you could hope for would be a, a do over maybe in certain states. But that is a practical matter. If you live in the real world, that's not going to happen. But nevertheless, the Trump campaign has filed a lawsuit this morning um, seeking to overturn the results of the Wisconsin election. They make four arguments now at the beginning of this let me just say that nowhere in the lawsuit does it allege that there was actually fraud that it, by that i mean that the people who the dead people voted that people who were not otherwise entitled to vote voted These are what I would basically describe as technical objections to the way that the election was conducted. But essentially, there's four big objections that are raised. Let's go through them quickly, then we're going to open up the phone call lines and get your reaction. The first objection seeks to throw out hundreds of thousands of ballots that were cast for early, through the early voting, early in-person absentee voting requirement. This is how I have voted for the last couple elections. It is the process where, for the two weeks before the election, you go into City Hall or wherever. You walk up to the person who's behind the counter. You show them your photo ID. You say who you are. You say where you live. The same exact process as if you were voting on Election Day. They give you the ballot you move over to a table, and you fill out your ballot. The only difference with early in-person voting, as opposed to voting on the day of the election, is that instead of taking your ballot and putting it into the machine, what you do is you take your ballot, you fold it, you put it in an envelope, and then you take the envelope over, and in my case, you, you give it to somebody from the clerk's office, who then takes it, seals it, witnesses it, and puts it in the box. The Trump campaign wants to toss out hundreds of thousands of ballots cast via that process. Now, this is a process that has been used and approved in Wisconsin for many, many elections. But now they want to toss it out. Why do they want to toss it out? Well, they're arguing that under the law, you have to fill out a separate application, a written application. So it's not just enough to walk into the clerk's office, show your ID, say, I want to vote. You would have to fill out a separate written application um, before you could get that ballot. That's the argument they're making. Like I say, that, that argument, um, it, its it, this is not the process that has been used for for years and years. The state takes the position that when you fill out that that ballot and you sign the envelope, that is the equivalent of saying that you have requested the absentee thing. But, okay, that's the first argument. All those of us who early voted, they want to toss out our votes. The second argument they make is that absentee ballots, in some cases that were received, they come in an envelope that's signed by the voter. And they're signed by a witness that includes the witness's address. In cases where the witnesses don't provide their address, I'm um, going back for several elections, at least until 2014, the guidance has been, if it's just a technical thing, like the witness hasn't filled out the address, the witness the clerk's office is allowed to fill out that information if by looking at the voter rolls, they they know who the witness is. Let me explain how this happens in the real world. Husband and wife, Fran and Jeff, decide that they are going to vote by mail. So, I witness Fran's ballot, Fran witnesses my ballot, because Fran is more thorough than I am. Um, I forget to write my address on the back of the envelope we send them in the clerk's office gets fran and jeff's ballot they see that okay jeff wagner is the witness for fran wagner they live at the same place and so the clerk's office writes in the zip code or writes in the address it's it is a procedure that has been accepted and agreed to for for multiple elections where they fill in these things where it's obvious that it is a technical error. The Trump administration is seeking to invalidate the election because of this process. The third claim that is being made, and we've talked about this before, has to do with the Democracy in the Park event run over two consecutive weekends in Dane County. When you get an absentee ballot, they, the clerk's office sends it to you, You, there's a number of ways you can return it. You, you fill, you fill it out. You put it in the envelope. You can send it back via the U.S. mail. You can go to a drop box and put it in a drop box, or you can take it to City Hall and you can put it in the hands of somebody at the clerk's office. All right. What they did in Madison is on two consecutive weekends, they had, um, election officials that sat at picnic tables in the park. And so instead of somebody dropping off the ballot at City Hall or putting it in a drop box, they could go to the park and they could put that ballot in the hands of one of the election officials. They weren't giving out ballots at the event. They were just merely serving as as sort of a living, breathing drop off box. The Trump campaign is arguing that they're not allowed to do that, and the tens of thousands of ballots that are otherwise valid should be discounted simply because somebody gave them to a member of the clerk's office at this picnic table instead of taking it down to City Hall. And the fourth and final argument has to do with indefinitely confined voters. Voters are supposed to provide a voter ID to get an absentee ballot. If you say you are indefinitely confined, that does not apply to you. And this year, um, because at least in the beginning, some clerks instructed people that um, because of covid if you don't feel going out you could go out that qualifies as indefinitely confined and so you can submit it without having the appropriate photo id that is being litigated as well but interestingly there's no arguments that anybody who claimed that they were indefinitely confined and didn't submit the photo id nobody's arguing that anybody wouldn't have been allowed to vote In in other words that you know, I, I say I can't go out of the House. I'm indefinitely confined. There, there's no argument when I submit my ballot that I wasn't otherwise entitled to vote, just that the indefinitely confined interpretation is not being followed. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So those are the four big claims that are out there in an effort to try to overturn election practices which have been in place For multiple elections, elections that Republicans have won, elections that Democrats have won. No solid evidence that anybody who voted using any of these different procedures that I've discussed actually defrauded people. By that, I mean that that somebody voted who otherwise would not be entitled to vote. All right, so let's tee this up. That's the lawsuit. Is this a basis for overturning the results in the Wisconsin presidential election, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take on this, I mean, give me a break. Now, I do think that there's valid issues. I I think the the best argument is, were they too loose with the idea of, you know, what somebody – what, what, mean, what does it mean to be indefinitely confined? And I, I think that's something, lo- looking, moving forward, you know, we have to figure out what the best practices are. But I'm reading through this, and I'm thinking, okay, really? You know, we're going to try to throw out seriously hundreds of thousands of ballots by practices that have been used for election after election? Don't we really have better things to do? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. we discuss.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: And again, I, 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 the idea that you're going to invalidate tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of legitimate ballots because, gee, when you went in to vote in person and you showed your photo ID and they gave you your ballot, you didn't ask for a separate document applying for that ballot. That is absurd. That is absurd. It's just to me that argument smacks of being frivolous and people involved with the Trump campaign should be embarrassed to be making that that argument. And I, I think, again, it, it hurts the cause of lots of us who have been arguing for uh, election security and things like that. But to say, OK, we want to invalidate hundreds of thousands of ballots in a process that has no fraud at all associated with it and has been used in election after election. And it's clearly something that people like. Um, to throw that out because our guy didn't, our guy didn't win. Well, shame on you. I mean, serious. It is a shameful, in my opinion, argument to make. It isn't to say, Like again, the in now, when they start talking about the did people abuse the indefinitely confined thing that's really geared for like nursing homes and stuff like that during a pandemic. I I think that that's something that maybe you have an examination of best practices moving forward. But absent evidence that, you know, non-existent people voted or people voted that wouldn't have otherwise been entitled to vote. You don't invalidate an election where three plus million votes were cast, do you? Let's start with uh, Dan. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dan.
2: Jeff, I I think I think it's long past time that um, we move beyond the nonsense from this president and start focusing on those in his party who aren't curtailing his actions. I mean, his actions here, not just in Wisconsin, but in, in, you know, Michigan and Pennsylvania, where he's literally inviting the electors to the White House in an attempt to get these people to overturn yeah. the votes. Is, do, you, is,
3: do you
1: think that's what I he's mean, really that, trying to do? I, I see. I, I, I keep wondering what the end game is. <laughs> yeah, I, I
3: keep...
2: It's hard... Well, Jeff, it's hard for me to imagine that he would invite individuals who are, you know, state representatives uh, to the White House the day before they're supposed to certify the election for another purpose. Now, you you may come up with something, but I, I can't believe it was for any other reason. And that is fundamentally attempting to undermine our democracy. And that's the president of the United States. So it's time for the Republicans to step up.
1: Well, and and I'll tell you something, Dan. I mean, again, I mean, mean, see, I kind of wonder what the end game here is as well. I I will tell you where I think this becomes a problem for Republicans. There's a runoff election in Georgia. Right now, Republicans have 50 seats in the U.S. Senate. All right. If there's two seats that are are up, they they are seats currently held by Republicans. And early January, there is going to be a, a runoff. If the Republicans and the Republicans, this is Georgia, they should win both seats. Um, if they happen to lose both seats, that makes it 50-50 in the U.S. Senate. Kamala Harris gets to cast deciding votes and the Biden general agenda becomes dramatically more liberal. If the Republicans control the Senate, um, there's going to be breaks on some of the, I, I think, wackier stuff that the progressives would try to push Joe Biden to do. Right, here, here is the problem. And, and this is already starting to play out in Georgia. If you send a message to Republican voters, look, the, the election's fixed. There's, there's nothing that you can do. The election's gonna be stolen. Why bother sending money to candidates? Why bother working for candidates? Why bother going out to vote? That's a very, very dangerous message to send to a part of the electorate that's out there. I mean, yesterday, I, I told you the story. For people who don't think voting is important, um woman in California, Republican, took back a seat held by a Democrat. The Democrat was retiring. It's a congressional seat. Won it by six votes. You don't think votes are important? Won it by six votes. Another story out of California. Oh, I'm sorry, the case yesterday was out of Iowa. This is out of the California congressional district. It's a 25th district. Um, the Republican incumbent, Mike Garcia, he, he won. By 333 votes, 333 votes out of hundreds of thousands of votes cast. The point is, for, for both sides, we... we If we send this message saying, oh, the elections are rigged or, you know, why bother participating? Well, okay, here's the problem. If all you need in some of these close elections is just a small number of people to throw up their hands and say, yeah, I'm not going to participate because I don't think this is legitimate, that that can have a huge, huge impact. And from the perspective of conservatives or Republicans, that is not a message that I think you want to be sending to your electorate. Don't participate because the whole thing is is fraudulent. Now, again, if you want to identify practices that can be improved on, and I I do think, for example, in Wisconsin, while not a basis to invalidate the election, I do think it's fair to say this indefinite, confined thing. What is that going to mean moving forward? And, And that's a fair discussion for the legislature to have. What should that really mean? But that's different than saying that everybody who early voted absentee should have their ballot tossed out. Let's talk to Mary. Mary, you're on WTMJ.
4: Oh, hey, Jeff. It's my first time calling, so well, th- I'm pretty excited about it. Well, thanks. For, okay, now you're um, from,
1: where, where is Malone? You're from Malone.
4: Malone is, uh, yeah, just a bit south of Fond du Lac.
1: Oh, okay. All right, great.
4: So, I, yep, I'm on the east side of Lake Winnebago. Okay, got so. it. But I, I agree with all the points you're making. Um, I do feel that this is undermining the election. I think people's votes need to matter. You can't just throw out hundreds of thousands of votes just on a whim. Um, I do think there needs to be a uniform system across the country. I, agree. I think every state's deciding how it's going to happen. is not Obviously, it's not working when you have an election with as many people that turned out to vote as this one uh, was. But I think his path to filing the lawsuit—I think he just wants to get it to the Supreme Court, so he can actually get it to the Supreme Court. Um, I think he wants to make his Amy Coney Barrett pick work for him. And I think another reason why he's doing this tactic too is because he's—he's he's still getting campaign funding. Yeah. I just heard this morning that he—he—he he he, 170 million, I believe. He's yeah. brought in since the election, yep, yep. and by by using this as a fraud, and 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 people donating to like this election campaign fraud fund, he's bailing. What of the deficit he's created?
1: Well, I I don't think it's actually um, I, Mary. I, I think it's, it's something bigger than that. I think you're you're exactly right. He's using this to raise money, and I think that that money is going to be the seed for. Um, whatever the future plans are, whether it's, OK, this is going into a political action committee so I can help underwrite rallies and things like that for the next couple of years to set myself up as a kingmaker or to set myself up as a candidate in 2024. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. I think a lot of the stuff that's going on now isn't about it's not really about the election and it's really not about. Arguing that the election was stolen. It's let's see if we can excite our base convince people to write checks And then we'll see where we go over the course of the next couple of years right. Yeah,
4: right keep it going. I, I don't really think the office is his thing. He was never a public servant I think he. I think he really wants to get out of DC. I never saw any enthusiasm from him I think he just like you said he wants to keep people engaged. He wants to keep that option open and, you know, we'll see what the next year holds with him and, and yeah. whatever he's got facing, you know, as far as uh, all the other right. issues he has facing. And I
1: guess, Marianne, thank thanks for calling. Please call back again. You're a great caller. I, I guess here's how I, I look at this. I don't look if if people want to give money to to President Trump and, you know, attend MAGA rallies for the next couple of years and stuff that that, that that's that's Fine. Now, I, I think for the conservative movement, it would probably be best if President Trump would would exit stage right at some point in time. But 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 that's okay. My bigger beef is, it, it's to try to do that by undermining the the validity of the electoral system. Because see, that's what I think is bad, and that's what's going to come back and and bite conservatives. And liberals in, in in the tail moving forward, if you really convince people that the system is all rigged, why bother participating in the system? And, you know, especially if you have close elections, these elections in Georgia, which are, are very, very important, my guess is at the end of the day, it's it's going to be 50,000 votes one way or the other, which sounds like a lot, but out of several million cast, it's not necessarily. So all you need is a 100,000 Trump supporters who say, oh, well, the election's fixed anyways, why do I go out? out and vote for senator purdue and and it, it has the potential to swing the the u.s senate um We, I think, whether you're liberal or conservative, I think we should be trying to do everything we can to encourage people to want to participate in the system. Your side loses the election. Republicans lose the statewide election for governor in 2018. The response shouldn't be, oh, the election was stolen. The response should be, I'm hacked off. How did we get out organized? How did we get out turned out? Let's figure out how we can do better in 2022. That's what I think the response needs to be let's talk to marcus on the north side marcus you're on wtmj
5: hey jeff excellent show as usual thank you. Um, can you be my attorney for twenty thousand dollars an hour like giuliani is because you're awesome i think you'd be excellent <laughs> i think you're worth a little bit more than 20 grand
1: what you're you- my man <laughs> thank, thank you marcus yeah
5: i i i really would like for you to defend me on these four points because you're awesome. you're better than giuliani and without the hair dye but um Here's the point. The main point I want to make is that, first of all, when you cash that ballot down at the Zeiler building and you show your ID, that that is that is something set up by the state. How can you go against the state? Uh, uh, That's just the law of the state that when you go down there, you present your ID, you get the ballot. And then you put it in there. It, it's pretty much the same thing as well.
3: The well same and it's
1: day a valid. procedure, right? It's a procedure, Marcus. That, that by the way, was endorsed and adopted based on advice um, a number of years ago when Brad Schimmel, who was a Republican, was the state attorney general. That, that's you know, they, they went to him and said, "Okay, how exactly does this operate?" That was the advice. Right. And and to me, it it makes eminent sense. Why should I have to go in in person, fill out a form, besides filling out the ballot right. and then filling out the envelope? It makes no sense
5: right and then you get into other gray areas and then the second point is that the people that are that are shut-ins i call it shut-in situation nursing homes uh group homes okay so they can't go down and get a photo id and they send in the ballot you're hearing stories of well grandma didn't know who she was voting for so mm-hmm. someone else voted for yeah you might have a few of that but does that change out 200,000 right. votes no it does not so what I'm saying is that what about the Republicans who actually won their particular districts that actually won because of the mail in ballot. Yeah. So you're going to invalidate those yeah. votes, right? Yeah. And so those individuals, it flips to the Democratic Party, right? And so now Trump is just did the opposite of that. So what you got here is this, is that he's setting this thing up for in the future. Not that he's running the future the world, is totally different four years from now trump is irrelevant four years from now so people get that out of your head so so this thing is just setting up maybe ivanka might run or somebody else but the bottom line is this is that just like the other caller said this is not about him right now it's about setting a precedent and that this this total situation being brought before the court system will be thrown out you are correct this won't even take 10 minutes for the
1: courts to decide. Well, I, I, I hope not. To no, 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 Mark, no thank, thanks for the call. I mean, look, and, and I have, doing a radio show in this market for full or part-time for the better part of 25 years, I have always made the argument, and, and this is something that I've always found compelling, as, as somebody who, who sees the media bias that's out there, who sees the double standards, I've always said... What if the situation was reversed? Okay, if this was a conservative instead of a liberal, how would this be covered? And, and, uh, but, but it's fair to apply those standards across the board. Now just, just think about this. If instead of Joe Biden being the, the president-elect, if, if if Donald Trump had had been reelected, and same margin, same thing, except he's won Wisconsin by 20,000 votes. And you had Democrats this morning that went in and filed a lawsuit alleging that we should toss out hundreds of thousands of, of early voting absentee ballots because of the reasons I set forth. You know, my phone lines would be jammed, and and everybody who supported President Trump would be absolutely outraged and demanding that hey, we we run these crazy lefties out of, out of town on our on our rail. Where do you get these these lawyers that would file stuff like that? You know that that would be the case. So again, I, I go back to this: can, can you find best practices? Yeah, and this this indefinite confinement thing. I think they need to tighten up what exactly that means. Although 2020 was a different year because of COVID and things like that, but. I, I'm looking through this stuff. And if you're saying, Jeff, well, don't you see the widespread fraud, the election was stolen, et cetera, et cetera? I'm, I'm sorry. It's just not there. It's not even alleged to be there. And based on that, can we do better in running elections? Yeah, of course we can. But does that mean that an election was stolen? Sorry, I'm not with you.
3: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs>
1: Lots and lots of texts. Jeff, you're right. But if the Democrats would have lost, they would be doing the exact same thing and it would be okay. Um, It's all part of the big game Washington has turned into. It started with the Democrats. The minute Trump was nominated and it was an all out war against him, you wonder why the man might be a little bit bitter. No, I I don't. And see, and I I, I understand that's why you really and and I say to people just Think about how you would feel Uh, again if if this were President Trump winning Wisconsin and you had the, the Biden campaign trying to overturn the results by arguing with a straight face. That all those early votes that that people cast, this procedure we've been following for years, they should be tossed out. Your vote, my vote, we we, we should all have them, them tossed out. And you say, well, well, how can you disenfranchise large groups of people? That's frivolous. That's ridiculous. And, and yes, that's the position we would be taking. But it's I hate to use the cliche. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. But but it is. You you can't have this situational ethics type of thing that that is out there. And if that's kind of what we're we're getting to the idea that you have to i think you know move on um and and by the way i do acknowledge that you know, President Trump, I, I don't think, ever got a fair shake in, in the beginning. Now, part of it, he brought it on himself. What do I always say? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. But but there's no question, after his surprise victory, and it was a surprise victory in November of 2016, he was never viewed as a, quote-unquote, legitimate president. You you had people from the beginning Aided and abetted by the left wing news media who were, were out there seeking to undermine. This is not a legitimate presidency. It was stolen. Russia, 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 all the, those types of things. And, and so I, I understand that, that now you're starting to, there's a tendency to say, well, they did this to Trump, so now it's okay. It's fair to do it to Biden. My, my point is, and this is from somebody who, you know, denounced the, those efforts to try to undermine President Trump in the beginning, is that we, we have to figure out a way to move past this, and we have to, instead of saying, instead of refusing to accept that maybe your your guy didn't win a particular uh, election, instead of just saying, oh, it was stolen, cheating, 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 maybe the motivation has to be, all right, moving forward for that next election that's gonna come up in two years, or that next election that's gonna come up in four years, what do we need to do to change the results? And for everybody out there that does believe that there was some grand conspiracy to steal the election by the Democrats, in in all fairness, if that's the case, this was one of the most screwed up efforts to steal that you could possibly imagine, because this was supposed to be this year of a huge blue wave. Democrats lost seats in Congress. The Republicans have 50 votes and probably will end up with 50 or 51 or 52 votes, 51 or 52 votes in the U.S. Senate. Republicans held control of state houses. Heck, in Wisconsin, there's still 61 Republicans in the state assembly, and they actually expanded their margin in the state Senate. So if this was some big Democrat steel effort that was out there, it it wasn't orchestrated very well. I mean, You know, Florida went Republican. Um, You know, you've, you've got all these. Different state North Carolina, the senator from North Carolina, Tom Tillis, he was supposed to lose. He ended up winning. Susan Collins ended up getting reelected in Maine. Like I say, it for for people who think, oh, this election was stolen, you look at the down ballot races and again, if if it was stolen, it was stolen by a gang that could not shoot straight. Back with in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex
0: Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, Gru, I think this is interesting news. All I know is what I read in the paper, but I I, I the the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Um, has what they de- they say it's an exclusive. Uh, Clark Howard ending his syndicated radio show after 23 years. Now I've not heard anything official from WTMJ, but the the interesting thing is my my career here at WTMJ has been linked to, to Clark Howard for the the entire time I've been doing a, a full time show. Um, 1998 when I started doing the full time show, November of 1998. At the time, um, my show was originally two hours and we had an hour of Clark Howard from 2 until 3 that was in there and that that worked for uh, a few years and at some point in time they decided that I, <laughs> I I'd fooled enough people that I was going to stick and so they expanded my show to 3 hours and we started, you know, running Clark Howard at nights and things like that and on the weekends and all. But of course, you know, Clark Howard's been a part of WTMJ for years and years here. Again, all I know is what's being reported in the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Uh, Clark Howard is based out of uh, WSB in Atlanta, which is sort of like a WTMJ for, for Atlanta. Uh, the story is Clark Howard ending his syndicated radio show after 23 years. Veteran Atlanta consumer guru, Clark Howard is shuttering his nationally syndicated radio show at the end of the year. Quote, not being under the gun every week with how much content I have to generate for radio is something I'm so relieved not to do anymore, said Howard, who has been on radio for about 33 years, an exclusive interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm at a point in my life where I don't need the money. (laughs) And and that is quintessential Clark Howard. You know, I've had an opportunity to meet him a couple times. I could just see him say, I don't don't need the money. Uh, Howard, now 65, is known for his frugality. Yes, that's true. I I remember, I'd listen to some of the stuff and he'd say that he uses like the same razor blade for a year. And to me, I, life is just too short. I, I mean, I, I appreciate it. Maybe that's how you, you become like a multi-multi-multi-millionaire, but to me, I, some stuff was great advice. Some stuff was just, it's just life is too short to use the same razor blade for a year. Howard, now 65, is known for his frugality and his finances are just fine, he said. He decided he would stop doing radio when it stopped being fun, and while he enjoyed being on the air, all the work surrounding the show was getting to be too much. Quote, it feels cool to walk away from the show on my own, said Howard, who noted that most radio hosts stick with it until their bosses no longer want them anymore, as opposed to the other way around. The Clark Howard show is syndicated on about 250 stations nationwide. Yeah. So I, um, if that, in fact, is the case, I, I just I certainly wish Clark Howard. Well, it, it is interesting that th- those sort of consumer finance shows, I, I remember back when I started, that was the big thing. And it seemed like every radio station, AM radio station, had, had a whole flurry of those. And they were really hot for a while. Then they kind of fell out of fashion. Then they, they came back. But Clark Howard has been just an institution for a, a long time giving people, um, advice. And if this article is correct, and again, I don't know what it means for WTMJ or anything like that, but I would certainly wish him the best. The one thing that he says that, that does makes sense, and might be a cautionary tale moving forward. I, I know that there's people out there who are speculating that, that one of the things that, that, for example, as President Trump looks towards the the post-president stuff, you know, one of the things that he might be considering is like his own daily radio show, whether it's through a Trump TV or a Trump radio network or, or things like that. The, the The only reason I would The only reason I would caution people to be skeptical about that is exactly what Clark Howard says here. And he says, not being under the gun every week with how much content I have to generate for radio is something I'm so relieved not to do anymore. And and I, I always mention that to people. I have a really cool job. I I just do. There's not a day that goes by that I don't wake up and think, boy, I I get to come in and I get to talk to lots and lots of people about stuff that I care about, and I I certainly have appreciated all the support over over the years, but... I always also tell people it it is a job. And what what happens is you you have to generate the content. You have to, and it doesn't matter. You know, if it's a Tuesday and you've got a cold, nobody cares about that. If it's a Tuesday and you've had a fight with your kid or something, nobody nobody cares about that. I mean, they they want the content, and they want the content, and it does become a job. And, I I mean, from a perspective of of somebody like President Trump, it's work. It's why so many other hosts, big-name hosts. Al Franken, remember, before he was a senator, he was on the, the ill-fated Air America. And, and he was able to succeed for a little while, and then he stopped doing it. And it's because, I, I think, just degenerating the three hours a day, or however long he was on, it got to be too much. Janine Garofalo, very, very funny liberal comedian. She she was on Air America as well. But, but they couldn't sustain it, because even with an army of producers and writers and stuff, that, that daily... The, the daily pressure to churn out the material became overwhelming. And I think that's kind of what Clark Howard is saying, as he says repeatedly during the story as well, at my life, I'm at a point in my life where I don't need the money. So he's 65, he's eligible for that socialized medicine that he's been paying into for all these years, doesn't need the dough, and um, just thinking about another, another whatever the next step in his life is going to be. And I do also admire his statement that, he says, it cool, feels cool to walk away from the show on my own. It's always better to get off the train Instead of having to have yourself pushed off the train, so um, haven't heard anything official from WTMJ or anything like that. But that's—I'll send out a link to that story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If so, um, I know a lot of people have enjoy, enjoyed, myself included, the Clark Howard Show over all the years, and he's given a lot of great advice. Even though sometimes you got to take it with a grain of salt. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna—I I just can't go through a year with just one razor blade. Just not going to work. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Hey, do you remember your favorite gift as a child? Maybe it was a hula hoop. Hula hoop. Or maybe a book or maybe a new record. Maybe it was an eight-track tape player. Some families aren't so fortunate, however. That's where you come in. Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive is celebrating its 15th year, and this year... As you might expect, the need is greater than ever. Please join us this Friday, December 4th, for a day-long Radiothon as we raise money to make sure every child has a memorable Christmas. Matter of fact, the plan right now is I'm going to be out at Capco um, in the big talking trailer um, from noon until 3. All proceeds benefit Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland. For more information, check it out. Go to WTMJ.com. All right. COVID has changed all sorts of things. And as, as as we had the initial shutdowns last spring, what happened is hospitals just stopped doing a lot of, of procedures because they wanted to keep available space for, for COVID patients. And as a result, people had to delay sort of things. And then we kind of got back to normal. And then we, we've had this spike, and now lots and lots of people who have medical procedures—they're—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're having them put off in uh, situations where maybe you know somebody matter of fact I was just talking to somebody today where um, one of their family members is in the hospital for something and they can't even visit them so the hospitals have have tightened up and restricted the visitors that could come in because they're trying to prevent people from bringing COVID from the outside but the result is you got somebody who's in the hospital and you can't visit them because they're sick it's just it's a nightmare scenario all along and all around and and that's the hospital situation is bad. The nursing home situation is even worse. Now, there was a story in the Journal Sentinel a day or two ago. Headline is, nearly 300 Wisconsin nursing home residents died from COVID-19 in four weeks, ten times more than the month before. Um, let's see. Uh, nursing homes in Wisconsin Reported that 294 residents had died of the disease caused by coronavirus between October 12th and November 8th. In the previous months, the deaths of 28 residents were reported. I mean, just, just let that sink in there. Um, you know, nearly 10 times as many died a month ago as died two months ago. And, and of course, we, we know why that is. COVID-19 is spreading. More and more people are getting it. For the vast majority of people who get it, and I'm not downplaying the significance of it, but the vast majority of people who get it, you, you get sick for a little bit. Some people are sicker than others. You, you, But most people get better. All right. Most people don't have to be hospitalized. Most people, it's just some uncomfortable stuff. But then, then you end up getting better. We know that there are certain segments of society that that does not work for. And we understand that the people who are most vulnerable tend to be the people who are older, other health problems, et cetera, et cetera. And then you look at a nursing home where you have people who generally fit into that category and they're all confined together. You know, so they're, they're really, it's very, very difficult. So what's happening is as COVID spreads through the communities in general, d- despite the best efforts of nursing homes, what are happening is that, that people are coming in and they're bringing it in. And, and maybe it's, it's employees, you know who who they're out, they're not confined at the nursing homes. They go out and about and you, and you test them and all those things, but there's limitations on testing. so some employee that has it, for example, you know comes in, gives it to somebody else, and then it ends up spreading. so th- there's that problem. The question is, all right, what what do you do to keep the people who are most vulnerable in the nursing home safe until we get a vaccine? All right Now the flip, and so the way that we have been approaching this, As a general rule, has been we're going to quarantine people. We're, we're going to do what we do, like in the hospitals. We're essentially not going to let people in. You know, we, we understand we have to let, em- we have to let employees in, but we're not going to let people come in to visit. You know, we're not going to let you go visit your grandparents over Thanksgiving. We're not going to let you visit your, your mom on her birthday because we, we don't want to take the risk that you will have been exposed to it and, and you're going to come in. So that's the way nursing homes have been adapting. Now, of course, in Wisconsin that hasn't been working because the people are still getting sick in the nursing homes big story in the wall street journal today though nursing homes fight in europe nursing homes in europe fight surge in cases and it, it talks about how what's going on in wisconsin is not unique to this country and it's not unique to the world and it talks about how as as the whole world experiences a resurgence in in covid19 you know nursing homes are getting hit hard so what they're wrestling with is the balancing do we shut down the nursing homes uh, to outside visitors? Do we say you, you can't come in and see your parents? You can't come in and see your grandparents? Understanding that if you do that, the flip side is isolation. And that's the subhead. Rising incident leaves, incidents leaves facilities with a choice between more isolation, crushing isolation in some cases, or greater exposure. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are eight five five. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. And, and my guess is maybe you've had to deal with a situation like this firsthand. L- let's say you have your, your 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 grandparents or your your parents. You know, people who are particularly vulnerable, and, and they're in an assisted living facility. They're in the, the nursing home, etc. Nobody wants them to get sick, but at the same time. You, you want mom wants to see you, you know. You you want to be able to see your kids. You 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 they, they want to be able to see their kids. The isolation of being in the nursing home is a nightmare in and of itself. Can we can we shut ourselves down? Can we quarantine ourselves out of this problem? Or are the problems that come from the isolation, from the not having contact, from the not being able to see people, is that? Is that worse than the disease? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and nursing homes are, are dealing with this. Do we essentially lock them down for the next couple months until a vaccine comes out, and just say no visitors at all? Understanding that that's not going to stop the problem because even now with these quarantines, you still got employees that are coming in and out and. And th- there's really nothing you can do. Some employee gets it, shows up, works in food service or whatever, and it's there. How do you handle this? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I just the isolation has to be awful, and I guess I, I'm seriously starting to wonder if. And I'm not saying you just you just go willy nilly and don't have any sort of controls at all, but I'm wondering if the cure, the isolation, may be worse than the disease. We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on.
3: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. Let's start with Peter downtown. Peter on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Peter.
3: Uh, the reason I called is I have a father-in-law who's in assisted living and of course they're locked down we haven't been able to see him we were there with him for christmas but that was la you know that was it and
1: christmas you mean, you mean last christmas yeah christmas okay so you haven't 2019 yeah okay got it so you haven't seen him for a year no firsthand hand con- no no person-to-person contact for going on a year wow
3: no we talk to him on the telephone but turns out now that he tested positive mm-hmm. so you know we of course they won't let us you know won't let you in so there's nothing it's hard to you know help him emotionally right over the phone
1: right 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 no i mean th- thanks But I, I appreciate the call and, and see that's the issue that nursing homes in particular are wrestling with because it's exactly that situation. You, you do the lockdown, but no lockdown is going to be perfect. And by the way, this isn't an indictment of nursing homes. It's just you, you have you have employees. They're coming in and, and out, and all, all you need is one of those employees to. You know be an asymptomatic carrier and you know they bring it into the nursing home and then it ends up spreading like wildfire so that that's the the, the flip side of this is that how how do we balance that out moving forward uh, Steve in Brookfield Steve yeah. in WTMJ hi
6: hey yeah my grandmother she's actually turned 96 today um, she's at Luther Manor and to your question I think you know we've had window visits We've has we were supposed to have our first inside visit a week ago, and uh, they had a worker on the unit tested positive. She was as- or he, asymptomatic, and the unit's on lockdown again. So my thing is, if they can do symptom checkers and rapid testing for their employees, what's the difference of family going through the same process?
1: Right. So you, you, you would be in favor Of them opening up to a a limited number of visitor, family visitors, as long as they they went through the same procedures that the the employees were going through.
6: Same protocols, correct. And and I still think the protocols aren't as where they should be because they're doing biweekly testing, right? Right, right. We know that all those workers are not adhering to social distancing and Mm -hmm. probably some of them are going to restaurants. So until they get to daily testing, I really don't see the asymptomatic Asymptomatic cases not being, you know, picked up—they're gonna—they're—they're—they're gonna gonna miss them because they're not testing every day. Well, well, and and that's what you're seeing. I mean, protocols.
1: Yeah, I mean, that—that's what you're seeing. I mean, that's how. I if again, I'm a layman at this, but that that makes sense to me. That that that's why you're seeing the number of deaths that just spiked. You know, from last month to two months ago, because more people have it in the community. So it only makes sense that. You know, you know more people who are working at the facilities, for example, you know, have it and come in. So I guess right, it's just right, right. It's, until you get a vaccine, it's not going to be a perfect thing. But you would like to see more testing and more ability to see your loved one in person.
6: I think for their own health. Yeah, um, yeah. for sure. I mean, I, I think if they can get the testing protocols up, I mean, if they can get rapid tests and everybody can do them, I think they can ensure the same protocols are in place for any visitor then.
1: Yeah. No, thanks. I, I do think, thanks for the call. I, I do think, and we're going to continue this conversation in the next segment. So uh, a lot of people want to weigh in on this because it's, it's a very, very personal and difficult thing. But I mean, look, my, my parents both been gone now for a number of years, but I, I know I, I know that if if my mom, my mom, you know, spent the last year or two of her life in an assisted living facility, and I, I just know that if we hadn't had an opportunity to go in and see her a couple times a week, it would be it would have been just heartbreaking for her and for us to not be able to do that and on the one hand you, you want to make sure that you don't get people sick on the other hand th- there is that balancing yeah you don't want somebody to get COVID but like I was saying earlier is the is, if the cure is you, you can't have any personal interaction with your loved one especially at, at their end stage of life is that worse than the disease
0: you're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ
1: okay, if you're just tuning in this is a very, very difficult situation. The, the number of deaths in Wisconsin nursing homes is spiking, and it's because even though they've got quar- – many many of the nursing homes have quarantine things where you can't visit your your parents or your grandparents or your friends. Well, still, you've, you've got employees that come in and out, and they, they're bringing – Covid nineteen in with them and despite, and i 'm not faulting the nursing homes, but as this spreads and more and more people get it in the community, well it, you can understand it there you have people that you know are out in the community, they get it, they bring it in, and then it's in a nursing home. The Wall Street Journal has a piece today though talking about how in europe they're, they're dealing with the same thing it 's not unique to Wisconsin, but one of the things they 're finding is that that, of course, you don't want anybody to get COVID and, and that's very bad, particularly in an assisted living facility or nursing home. But the flip side is the isolation that's being caused by the lengthy shutdowns is is bad too. Whether it's it's the isolation or whether it's contributing to dementia or things like that. And and we're wrestling with what what do you need to do? I, I think at some point in time, you can't simply say that, you know, we're not going to let people see their elderly parents or, or their grandparents for a, a year or for a year and a half or or whatever. You have to figure out a way that there can be some human interaction. Uh, here's a text, Jeff. Thanks for addressing the issue. My mom lives in a nursing home and has been there for a year and a half. This January, my father passed away at the same place. My mom has been isolated from her family and friends since February, not to mention grieving the past of her husband of 75 years she's dealing with isolation and depression and the only way to visit her is on the phone i'm afraid i will lose her and not be able to be with her nancy in burlington nancy you're on wtmj hello
7: hi jessica i'm hoping you can hear hear me because they were saying my phone is breaking up a little bit gotcha right now um okay i am a long-term care rn um and I work in a small private facility. And we did we we did the isolation, each wing is isolated. Um, we did Zoom visits, we did telephone calls, we did some window visits. Um, during the summer we were able to do some outside visits, but there had to be separation still. Um, a lot of my patients are dementia patients. Right the isolation has really affected them. Unfortunately, we kept COVID out of the facility until October, right. even though we were testing staff and testing residents. In October, it just swept us because the community rate is so high. Right. Um, I had it, I gave it to my husband, he's, he's now hospitalized um, and hopefully we will discharge in the next couple of days. Um, but you become their family. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking the love stories of spouses that are separated. Oh yeah, that are used to daily visits. Um, out of seventy probably residents, we forty six have had COVID in the past month. Um, we've lost five, mm-hmm. and. In the beginning of COVID, when it wasn't a COVID-related death, they allowed one death visit at the bedside and completely um, tested the family before they came in. Two people were allowed to come in, put PPE on them, and allowed uh, a death visit, which to, to me... I was a hospice nurse for years and years. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. The, the residents that I've lost now, I grieve for them and I grieve for their families. I don't know what the answer is. Will we ever be, I mean, even with a vaccine, hopefully with a vaccine, we can open the doors again. Right. Right.
4: Um
1: no, Nancy. Thank, no, thank, thanks for the call. And, and I, look, and I, I don't have any of these answers either. Other than, I think that we we need to be more creative um, than than just simply saying we're going to lock stuff down. Because again, to your point, with, with COVID spreading through the community, at least short term, the the locking stuff down. Does it minimize the spread? Yeah, but it, but it's not stopping the spread because again, you've you've got employees that are coming. And I'm not faulting the employees. I, I get it. The employees are coming in. So if there's still if there's still the potential. That, that people are going to get sick is there something you can do with the family members and, and maybe it's it's dressing in the hazmat suits I, I something like that but i mean i just this this whole thing kind of breaks my heart because because like i say my my mom passed away you know, 10 12 years ago there's not a day that goes by that i do not miss her. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to imagine if, if she were alive in this sort of situation, I, I'd be one of these people screaming, saying, look, you, you've got to figure out a way to let us have some visitation with her. I Test me, you know, put me in the hazmat suits, you know, do, do whatever. But it, we, we have to be able to see It's not just for my mental health. It's for, in particular, the mental health of the people who are in these facilities. Uh, Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, Jeff. Uh, My mom is in a retirement slash nursing home in Appleton and they were shut down completely for a while. Um, but, but most just recently, they started allowing window visits again. And for those I've been getting kind of creative and like dressing up in like costumes and stuff like that. Like she's a big fan of bananas and I showed up wearing a banana costume and I bought her like bananas and banana chips and a bunch of like other stuff. And then, um, and then on Thursday I showed up for a window visit dressed in a turkey, in a full blown turkey mascot costume, and I would I would suggest anyone with with window visits to, to get creative and do things like that to try and try and cheer up the residents. But you, you then, didn't scare uh, you didn't really, scare
1: everybody when you showed up dressed as a giant turkey.
2: No, they loved it. I, <laughs> I didn't get arrested or anything. I was already, uh, you know that was a it was a big hit. Um, and then the other cool thing too is that. On Friday, I was able to uh, take a COVID test in the parking lot at the facility Right. and then um, actually get in, but still wearing, you know, PPE and taking all the right. precautions to actually be able to get in and hang out with my mom inside the uh, the facility. Uh, so I do think that there's some middle ground here coming and there are more ways that these places are developing to, to deal with this, this uh, dilemma.
1: Uh, Thanks to call Jeff. Here's a text. Jeff, isolation is not the answer. Look at the Wisconsin prison system. Over 80,000 cases currently. My wife's that that, that sounds high. 80,000. Um, that sounds high. Anyways, my wife's grandmother had contracted covid while in a nursing home while we were all on lockdown. I don't know what the answer is, but lockdown isn't working. All right. Here's the text. Let's get off this COVID crap. Switch gears. <laughs> okay, well, wonderful. That's that's our compassionate and kind listeners. Who? Oh, why, why are we talking about people who have families in nursing homes and, and might be suffering from isolation and all these things? Well, let's, let's stop talking about this COVID stuff. Huh. Greg in Oak Creek. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir.
3: I I, I haven't seen my mother for a year since December. And now let me tell you this, and she's 87, and guess what? If you do a Zoom meeting, if you do a Viper meeting, if if you do a phone call, especially the ones where you can see each other, right. it's been fantastic for their mental health. As long as they can see you, you know, if you say, hey, Mom, look, it's the best for you. I, I, mm-hmm. I just can't see us opening things up. Other than the workers, because the more people you open it up to, I don't care. The numbers are going to tell themselves, and I, I just don't want to see that happen. I do want to see it locked down. This this vaccine is right around the corner. We gotta be patient, mm-hmm. but it, just become creative. Get on the get on the get on the phone. Do Zoom. Do Facetime. Do do a phone call. They love it. They appreciate it. They're shocked that they can see
1: you. Let me ask you this. Do you think do, um, yeah. when, when a vaccine becomes available, if the deal was in order to see your, your mom, of course, she'd have to be vaccinated, but you'd have to be vaccinated as well. Would you be cool with that?
3: Absolutely. I want to be the first one in line. I can't <laughs> wait.
1: Got it. Thanks, for the call. Appreciate it. Um, well, I, I throw that out there. It, it's it's it is this balancing act that's there and i guess part part of the thing that still informs what i'm saying here is that but we we but we've tried to lock down our way out of problems in nursing homes and unfortunately that that has not worked and you understand why it hasn't worked because It's it's not like it's a prison camp where nobody's coming in and nobody's coming out. There's always going to be some interaction. So, I mean, the next month or two, I think, is going to be especially bad. And and maybe if isolation has been the way we're going to approach it, my my guess is maybe it's going to continue to be that way. But but that's not a long term solution. And that's why it's all the more reason to hope that these vaccines get out into the public, particularly the vulnerable populations, really, really soon.
3: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Experience holiday joy and excitement from the comfort of your car at Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton, featuring millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, and a bustling Christmas village. All guests are encouraged to bring a new unwrapped toy that will go to children in need in our community. This week, a toy donation gets you a buy one, get one ticket to a Milwaukee Admirals game. You could also win a $200 shopping spree. To the Admiral's Team Store, find Capco's Christmas Wonderland at the corner of Cheyenne Avenue and Highway 60 in Grafton. Uh, happy holidays from WTMJ and Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. Yeah, Capco—it it could not be easier to find. If you haven't been out there, you go I 43 to the Grafton exit, um, which is Highway 60. You get off. You you go about a mile to a mile and a half to the west, and and it's right there. Can't it could not be easier to um get to and um again we're going to be it, it's a, it's a different year for kids to kids christmas you know typically we will do multiple remotes you know we would always be at uh, vmp for example and last year i think we were at a car dealer in west bend as i recall and we've been at grocery stores and we've been outside big box retailers that that's you know that's not happening this year because it's it's again a year unlike anybody else, any unlike any other and I'm not telling anybody anything about that, but uh anything new about that but we're 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 going to try to find different alternatives and this drive through winter wonderland I think is a very very cool one to begin with all right you, you know we're talking about how how you rein in. You know, COVID, and we were having the conversation about the nursing homes in the last segment of the program. But it's it's really interesting to understand how how, how bad this this problem is. Now, for example, one of the things that's been kicked around is is lockdowns, and I, I have argued that lockdowns do not work. I, I I believe firmly that, for example, Governor Evers made a huge mistake. Last spring, by ordering massive closures of of things, because what what it did is it had a huge impact on the economy, and and didn't necessarily solve the problem. I, I think lockdowns, if you're going to do it, it, what what they have to do they have to be targeted. You have to say, okay, where where are where are the contact tracers telling us, to the extent we can figure it out, that people are getting sick? And then let's concentrate on on that. That's why, like in Minneapolis in, in Minnesota, they they've put curfews on bars because they say, hey, we've done these studies and we're finding that seventy percent of the COVID spread comes from you know people who are in bars after nine or ten o'clock at night or at at large gatherings like. Um, weddings or funerals and things like that well to me at least if you're going to have for example lockdowns okay it, it makes sense okay maybe a maybe a curfew makes sense now I understand some of you don't agree with that and don't think we should do anything I try to find that balanced approach but if you want to understand how pervasive the problem has has become I'm, I'm looking at a story out of out of um, El Paso El Paso, Texas, and they're doing contact tracing. Here, here's what they find. The mayor says, look, here, here's the deal. We did a deep dive in our contact tracing for the week of November 10th through November 16th. This is El Paso, Texas. We're trying to figure out where, where COVID is coming from. We found that 55%, so more than one out of two of our positives... We're coming from shopping at large retailers, what we term as big box stores. So they're talking about the WalMarts, the Costcos, the you know Targets, the the big box retailers that ha- have been open and will stay open in, in lockdown. So then the mayor went on to say, um, "Okay, the, these big box real ta- retailers are all considered to be essential." Guidelines under you know even under the federal and under the Texas standards they are they are essential businesses under the Homeland Security rules so we we don't have the authority to close down the WalMarts or the Costcos or the Targets it would can cause a complete disruption in the community if we did that because people need to be able to get groceries and things like that but yet we're finding that 55 percent of the cases are coming from these big box retailers and he says you know we we don't have any control over the limitations there now i bring this up because again it, it shows the pervasiveness. And when we just try to, as a knee-jerk thing, pick a particular business or a particular industry, you know, I understand it's well-intentioned, but you have to have the science that ends up backing it up, and you also have to recognize the limitations. Now, candidly, I don't know that I'm necessarily surprised by this, because I, I don't I don't do the shopping in our family. I don't go to the big box retailers, but I do acknowledge going into grocery stores or hardware stores and things like that to to get stuff. And it's not that I don't see people wearing masks and trying to practice social distancing, but I can't tell you how many people I see and wearing masks in a way that sort of defeats it. For example, if you pull your mask down so you're breathing through your nose and your nose is exposed, you might as well not be wearing your mask. Maybe it makes a little bit of a difference, but if you're going to wear a mask, you're supposed to wear the mask in in the right fashion and things like that. And I, I can't tell you how many times I'll be walking through the grocery stores. and It's not that there's unmasked people. It's that there's people who aren't wearing the mask properly, or they're pulling the mask oh, out or things like that, which, again, makes me just sit back and say, the sooner we get a vaccine and the sooner everybody goes along with it, the better. But for folks who think that you can lock down lock down our way out of this, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, unless you're going to close all the big box retailers, and, and then where are people going go to go to shop for groceries and things like that? Unless you're going to do that, the El Paso experience says... You know, 55% of the cases we trace back to the big box retailers. Go figure.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at
1: Historic Radio
0: City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Group producing the show today and always. People are just bailing right and left at, at the... You know, at the start of the last hour, I sent out a tweet. um, Clark Howard, who has been a a mainstay on WTMJ since I started uh, a long time ago, um, the reports out of Atlanta are he's decided that he's going to end his nationally syndicated radio show at the end of the year. I sent out a tweet linking uh, that story. On on the more local level, Kathy Flanagan, who is the beer writer for the, the journal Sentinel, I, and I, I give her a lot of credit. She was like a features writer, and a number of years ago, she, I, I think, recognized that if you're going to survive in the newspaper industry... Or the media in general. You need to have a niche, particularly if you're a writer for paper. And she carved out this niche about, she, she was the beer woman and, and she covered, you know, all the different like breweries and she was, she was there charting the growth of craft beer and things like that. And it's just done a great job. Um, apparently she's either has just retired or is in the process of retiring from the journal sentinel. Uh, maybe her last story is in the paper today talking about how the, um, the, the, the Pabst pilot house downtown is is going to be closing and now uh john nigran who is a longtime republican member of the state assembly who's been on this program on multiple occasions over the year he was elected i believe in 2006 and he was the uh uh, he, he was on the joint finance committee he's been a um a, a standout leader in advocating fiscal conservatism over the years, and, and he's also um, carved out a niche as well in, in dealing with the opioid crisis. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people know that he's had family members who struggled with that a, as well. And he's had a, a a huge impact. Well, anyhow, he was elected last month with two thirds of the vote. He's from you know Marinette. It's a solidly Republican district, so it, it's it's not a seat that's in danger of, of flipping one way or the other. But he announced today that he's retiring effective immediately to um, pursue opportunities in the private sector. So um, that there's going to be a special election at some point in time that will we'll fill that seat. But like I say, it's a it's a solid Republican district. But John Nygren's done just an absolutely tremendous job. So you, you just have all sorts of people who are making decisions that, you know, it's time to... Time to move on and uh, just all, all different walks of life, but certainly people who've um, made various various contributions. All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this story with you because it's a COVID story, but it's a, a larger story as well, which is how much control should your employer have over the things that you do in your, on your own time. Now, now, for example, if you work in the area of healthcare, it is not uncommon. Uh, you, you are, for example, in, in many area health facilities, you're required to get a flu shot, right? That, that's as a condition of coming to work. And unless you've got a medical reason or some other, reason, you gotta get a flu shot. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You can go work somewhere else. That, that's their, their policy. And of course, employers, And let's talk about in the healthcare area. area, They have all sorts of requirements of things that you have to do when you come to work. You got to wear a mask all the time. Maybe you have to wear gowns. You know, there's different rules that you have to follow. And when you're on the clock, that that's I I think all of us would agree that employers have the right to say, okay, if you're going to be in the facility, you know, we our rule is you've got to wear a mask when you're anywhere in the facility, for example. If that would be the rule, I think most of us would agree that well, the employer has the right to do it. You might disagree with their decision, but you'd agree that they have the right. All right, which brings me to the story of an oncology nurse in Salem, Oregon. So, I mean, she, she works with, with cancer patients, all right? Here's the story, Washington Post yesterday. An Oregon, that would be Salem, Oregon, Oregon nurse bragged on TikTok, there's your social media again, about not wearing a mask outside of work. She's now been put on leave. Dressed in blue scrubs and carrying a stethoscope around her neck, an oncology nurse in Salem, Oregon, looked to the Grinch as inspiration while suggesting that she ignored coronavirus guidelines outside of work. In a TikTok video posted Friday, she lip-dubbed a scene from How the Grinch Stole Christmas to get her point across to her unaware colleagues. She does not wear a mask in public when she's not working at Salem Hospital. When my coworkers find out I still travel, don't wear a mask when I'm out, and let my kids have play dates, the nurse wrote in a caption accompanying the video, which has since been deleted. Following swift online backlash from critics, Her employer announced Saturday that the nurse had been placed on administrative leave. In a statement, the hospital said the nurse, who's not been publicly identified, displayed cavalier disregard for the seriousness of this pandemic and her indifference towards physical distancing and masking outside of work. We also want to assure you that this one careless statement does not reflect the position of Salem Health or the hardworking and dedicated caregivers who work here. And the hospital says an investigation is underway. All right, let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so the woman's a nurse. The hospital has all sorts of rules as to what you have to do and tests that you have to go through, you know, when you come into work. They take your temperature, you got to wear the mask, all those things. She does all that. She's, though... Outside of work, saying I'm not doing this, and she she makes her she makes a, a TikTok video of, of this. Hey, I, I don't wear a mask. I let my kids have play dates, etc., cetera, etc. Hospital finds out, huge backlash in the community. She needs to be fired, not on paid leave. I can only imagine how her patients feel after seeing this news. So my question is, should she be disciplined or fired for? what she does on her own time. So if she decides she doesn't want to wear the mask when she goes out, should she be fired for not doing that? Now, in the case of this particular nurse, she invited this attention by, again, by, you know, going on, on TikTok and using social media. But think about people that you know in your life. Maybe you know somebody who's in healthcare. Right? Maybe you know somebody who's in healthcare who you know what? They they go out to a bar every now and, and then. And they they sit at at the bar and they're at the bar and they're not wearing their mask or maybe they don't always wear the mask or maybe they don't on their own time engage in social distancing. Our number is 855 or maybe just maybe, you know, they had family members over for Thanksgiving. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acinet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Should people in this case who work in the healthcare field is Should the employers discipline them, fire them for, again, doing things on their own time that the employers think are irresponsible? If you can't trace it back to, you know, something that's happened at work, 855-616-1620. And I guess my other question is, how far does this go? So, for example, is this now the, the normal? If you're sitting in a bar or you're out and about and you see somebody who you know works at an area clinic or an area, I don't know, hospital or something like that, and you see them and they don't have the mask on. All right. Do, do you take a picture of them? Do you send it to their employer? Do you shame them on social media? Do you demand that they be fired? Is that an unreasonable thing to do? Again, let's talk about people in, in healthcare, care. And if you do that, If people now start following nurses around, and I understand this this lady invited this by by going on on social media, she invited the attention, but what what if she hadn't? What if somebody had just seen her, you know, out and about sitting in that bar or sitting in the, the restaurant or maybe being out and about without that mask on? Is that the type of thing that employers should be, again, disciplining people for? We discuss in just a moment.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, employers already have control of you on your off-time example, drug screening. Well, that's true, that employers... You know, they regulate if, if you show up with heroin in your system and you've done it off duty and you show up to work, that there's going to be consequences. Now, is this different? If you're just tuning in, uh, a nurse in Salem, Oregon, she's an oncology cancer nurse. Um, she She's not a big mask wearer. And she takes a TikTok video of her denouncing mask requirements and wandering around without a mask. She's now been put on paid leave. Linda in Milwaukee. Linda, you're first. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Linda.
8: Um, I'm a retired medical ICU nurse, respiratory. I think it's appalling what she has done. Mm-hmm. She has a degree in science. The science says for everybody, which I think is a responsibility for everybody, whether you're in healthcare or not, to wear a mask, social distance, hand wash, et cetera, et cetera. She has all that knowledge, and her population, oncology, is so compromised to begin with. I think she deserves to get fired. She posted on social media.
1: She's an idiot to me. I'm sorry. Well, I, I it, it is you know re- regardless of the merits you know that this is one of these things that understanding this topic what what would possess you to go on social media you know one way or the other on this it it is uh, yes right no you're <laughs> idiot from from that perspective okay, but let me ask you this linda you're okay you're you're re- you said you were retired in, from the healthcare field right what if Yes. all right, for example, I know people who work in the healthcare field who will, will go out and, and they will, they will go, eat, or even do over the course of the last couple months. I, I will run into them. And I'm not just talking about nurses. I'm talking about doctors, et cetera. I will run into people that are in, in bars, etc., etc., et cetera, or in, in various clubs. And, you know, they're, they, they don't have masks on or, or whatever. Now, they're not going on social media and advertising it, but, what, what if somebody takes a picture of them and puts it up on social media? Should the employer get involved at that point in time? Because th- this lady invited the attention. But what if people are living their lives but not necessarily inviting the attention?
8: Um, I think everybody should be doing social distancing and follow the science. Right. Right. Um, even though I'm retired, I'm very careful of where I go. I go to only one or two certain places. Yeah. I stay there to eat with my husband. I follow all the other rules. Right. And I'm sure wouldn't go into work and take care of a population like that.
1: Right. Yeah. No. thanks. I, I, I get it. And I, and I, said, I appreciate that. And I, it's just, it is one of these things. And, and I guess the question is, are you setting up impossible standards for the employees remember when when we first announced it was the night that the supreme court had invalidated um evers safer at home order and you had a handful of bars that opened up and remember the story there was the woman who was the nurse and i I might have the facts slightly wrong but i think she was she was a nurse in and one of the the big healthcare facilities and she was in one of these bars and she gives an interview on on television, and she's immediately just just denounced. And and it's not because she was violating any laws or whatever. It was that here you have a nurse, and she and I think she was a nurse, and and she's sitting you know in this bar with her sister or whatever, and and they're having a, a beer, and there's other people around. I guess the question to me, and, and I I defended her at the time. In fact, I took some heat from doing that. But the, part of the problem is that I think employers have every right to try to insist on a best practices sort of thing And, and clearly if it's in the healthcare field, you have the right to, you know, impose tests and things like that. But I I do think it's a very dangerous slippery slope if we start going down and now having people follow folks around saying, oh, oh, look, this, that lady's a a nurse or or this guy's, uh, you know, a a med tech or something like that. And look, I, I saw them out and about and they were sitting there and they were three or four other people and here, let's put their pictures up on social media and then let's demand they be fired. You know, when you talk about all the other the stresses that healthcare providers are under. If now the idea is we're going to target you, and if we find that you're not engaging in best practices, you know, we're going to threaten your job. You talk about something else that's going to make it even more difficult to find people that work in the healthcare field. Um, Jeff, I think number one, what I do in my own time is is my business, especially if it doesn't affect my work performance. Number two, we need health care workers. Firing creates even more of a shortage. And then they go on and talk about – um you know, um masks. Let's see, Um, Jeff, I am against anyone getting told what to do by their employer on their own time period. However, this is a different time with an extraordinary situation being that she is in healthcare and takes care of p- cancer patients. I do think she had to be suspended. She obviously has no regard for her patients or her job and is stupid to brag about it and social media to boot. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. And as I was trying to analyze this topic, I think it's tough to feel sorry for this woman because, like I say, she's the one that invites the attention. I mean, regardless of how you feel about the mask rules and the PPE and any of that sort of stuff, this is it's not a situation where she was at her house or she was at a Thanksgiving dinner after the, the government. I don't know what the rules are in Oregon, but it's not like. Okay, we're in Madison, for example. They say, well, don't have anybody over for Thanksgiving. Not that anybody paid attention to that, but it's not like a situation where somebody snaps a picture of somebody who's a healthcare worker sitting at a Thanksgiving table with a handful of other people. This is a situation where she, she went up front <laughs> and, and invited all the attention, which to me makes her less sympathetic. You change the facts a little and you say, Hey, you know, you, you're, you're there with a couple of your friends and you're sitting around a table in a, in a bar and and somebody takes a picture of you and then puts it up there, that, to me, is, is perhaps a different and definitely a much more sympathetic situation than just saying, hey, I'm going to go flaunt the rules. Bottom line is, especially in today's day and age, you, you, nothing you do is secret. That, that's just kind of the reality out there. And if you want to avoid the heat, maybe it's best to stay off social media. All right. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.